Hey, Rockheads, it's time again for NDC, an incredible developer conference held annually in Oslo, Norway. Richard and I will both be there, of course, but check out this all-star lineup. Troy Hunt, Rob Eisenberg, Scott Allen, Oren Eni, Michelle Bustamante, Damian Edwards, Brock Allen, Dominic Beyer, and many more. Register now at ndc-oslo.com. NDC, we'll see you there. .NET Rocks, episode 1288, with guest Douglas Crockford. Recorded Thursday, April 14th, 2016. Hey, guess what? It's .NET Rocks coming to you from Orlando, Dev Intersection. Carl Franklin here. I'm Richard Campbell. And uh, we're in Richard's room. Have been interrupted by housekeeping several times. I've got the D&D on the wall there now, so hopefully we'll keep him from banging on the doors. No, I don't want any more soap. It's okay. Go away. Yes. Leave <laughs> us alone. But nice space. Very and nice. It's hard to be too, you know, there was a point where we were in Orlando like two, three times a, a year. Yeah. And Orlando can get on your nerves, but right. it's been a while since we've been here. And right. it's know, actually kind of nice. Yeah. And we've, uh, of course, conference is going very well. Yeah. Uh, over a thousand people. It's hopping. Fantastic. Yeah. And congratulations on that. Thanks. Well, let's roll the music because you know what we're doing now. Better note a framework. <laughs> All right, buddy, what do you got? What I got is pretty good. <laughs> it's uh, more hippa than what you got. More hippa than what you got. It's uh, uh, 1288.pwop.me because this is show 1288. Or right. you could just go to mailtrain.org. Oh, interesting. Mailtrain, M-A-I-L-T-R-A-I-N.org. This is an open source, self-hosted MailChimp clone. Oh, interesting. Okay, so rather than use a service, run it yourself. Right. And MailChimp, if you don't know what that is, it helps you do email marketing and newsletters and all of that stuff. You do campaigns. We use it for the .NET Rocks newsletter. Oh, yeah. So right? you use MailTrain for that? No, no, no. Oh, I, you use MailChimp? I use MailChimp. Okay. I'm thinking about switching now because, okay, so it's built on top of Node Mailer. Mm. All right. So it's, you know. A little JavaScript in our lives. Yep. You can use any SMTP provider, including SendGrid which is sendgrid.com. That's an Azure uh, property. Oh, yeah. It's in the Azure store. You can also use SES, SparkPost, and Mailgun, which are also popular SMTP services. So so while they don't do the actual sending of, of uh, emails, right. that's what these other providers do. They do all the stuff around campaigns. Right, and, all the management you know, pieces. All the management pieces, okay. of course. Okay, that makes sense. So, uh, but, uh, yeah. There you go. And and I did the math, and it turns out, yeah, if I'm using SendGrid for my SMTP mailer and yeah. the free uh, mailtrain.org stuff, that, yeah, the, the cost is going to go down dramatically. Interesting. That's really cool. Yep. And obviously something we need to think about. Yeah. And everybody else, too. So there you go. Mailtrain.org. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off of show 982, the one we did with one Doug Crockford at a dev intersection mm -hmm. in Orlando, Florida. That's right. Two years ago. I remember it. Yeah. And uh, uh, just not far from when we just did this, about a month later, May of 2014. And uh, that's, you know, we talked about the better parts 
of JavaScript. Actually, we ended up talking about all kinds of all kinds of things, and it elicited a ton of comments from the listeners as well, including this one from Ronnie Overby, who said, "Douglas said for me the real horror story, and it, I'm, I'm sorry, Doug, this is a something you said two years ago. For <laughs> me, the real horror story is that we are still writing critical software in C." <laughs> For all of the talk about how we've had innovation, it's been 40 years and we still don't have a better system language. That's ridiculous. Why are we not able to innovate effectively on that most critical of technologies? Mm. I'm glad to hear him articulate what I have been wondering myself many times. However, I do think that Google's Go language is just about the most innovative advancement in low-level, close-to-the-metal, non-VM, cross-platform languages hmm. in a long time. Mm -hmm. Go is compiled, concurrent, garbage-collected, statically typed, and developed at Google. Go was born out of a frustration with existing languages and environments for systems programming. Programming has become too difficult, and the choice of languages was partly to blame. One had to choose either efficient compilation, efficient execution, or ease of programming. All three were not available <laughs> Pick any in the two. same language. <laughs> <laughs> Programmers who were choosing ease over safety and efficiency by moving to dynamically typed languages such as Python and JavaScript rather than C++ or, to a lesser extent, Java. Mm. Go is an attempt to combine the ease of programming of the interpreted dynamically typed language with the efficiency and safety of statically typed compiled languages. Mm -hmm. It also aims to be modern with support for networking, multi-core computing. Finally, it is intended to be fast. Intended to be fast. Mm -hmm. It should take at most a few seconds to build a large executable on a single computer. To meet these goals requiring addressing a number of linguistic issues, an expressive but lightweight type system, concurrency and garbage collection, rigid dependency specifications, and so on. These cannot be addressed well by libraries or tools. A new language language was called for. So that's right from the, the FAC. Well, Anthony Eden from DN Simple yep. used Go to completely uh, develop his DNS system. Yeah, and DN it, Simple. And it rocks. You can't argue with the, the productivity of no. it. And it and, but it is interesting to think in terms of building low-level systems with more modern languages. I'm, and I'm sure Mr. Crockford has a comment on that. Right. Ronnie, thank you so much for your comment. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. And if you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media. Because we publish every show to Facebook and Google+. And if you comment there, we're getting lots of comments on Google+. These yeah, days. yeah, yeah. We'll send you a mug. Yeah, we will. And uh, definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. And send us a tweet because, you know, we pass them on to Uber drivers. <laughs> <laughs> Doug's like, what the hell are you talking about? <laughs> and let me introduce Douglas Crockford. He's a product of our public education system, a registered voter. He owns uh, his own car, um, which there seems to be some... Uh, discrepancy about it. I'm just, I'll let him tell you that. Uh, he's developed office automation systems. He did research in games and music at Atari. He was director of technology at Lucasfilm. He was director of new media at Paramount. He was the founder and CEO of Electric Communities at communities.com. He was founder and CTO of State Software, where he discovered JSON. He is interested in Bliss Symbolics, a graphical symbolic language. He is developing a secure programming language. He is also the world's foremost living authority on JavaScript. And welcome back, Doug. It's great to be back. It's great to have you. And thanks for keynoting for us. Oh, sure. You had a, you had a packed room this morning. Things went well? Yeah, things went great. So what are you focused on these days? I mean, we can't be JavaScript all the time, can it? Uh, you wouldn't think. <laughs> <laughs> However. So I spent a lot of time thinking about the 
post JavaScript environment. Interesting. Uh, you know what what happens after? Because I gotta believe something happens after. Because in some ways, JavaScript's at its peak right now. Right, we've got much faster execution engines for JavaScript than ever before. It's spreading outside the browser into all these other weird environments. Like, it's and spreading. you're thinking about after. Well, you have to. Are you thinking about web assemblies? No, no. You're just. Well, tell us what so you are thinking the, about. The problem with JavaScript isn't that it's not fast enough. For most of the things that we're doing, it's plenty fast. Mm -hmm. So the compulsion of we got to get even faster is really 20th century thinking, right? That's what we use, used to have to do to computers because right. the computers weren't fast enough. Mm -hmm. So I'm not willing to trade off anything for performance at this point because performance for most of what we have to do is a solved problem. Right. There are some specialized things like gaming or or any kind of real-time visual stuff where right. you want to get faster access to GPUs and, and, and that kind of stuff, and that that's a special case. Sure. But I don't think JavaScript needs to be the language where we're dealing with those problems. Hmm. Um, so I'm much more concerned with correctness and error avoidance. You know, right. how, do, how do we become more productive? And I think the main way we become productive is by spending less time chasing down our mistakes. Right. Hmm. So what can we do in the programming paradigm to make ourselves more effective? So that's a lot of what I'm thinking about. Then I'm also thinking about the web and the fundamental design problems in it, that mm -hmm. it was not designed to do all of the things that we're doing with it. Many now. of the things, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And we struggle with that. Mm -hmm. We struggle working with a model which is completely inappropriate to what we're trying to do. And we struggle with the security problems of something that was not designed to be a secure system. Right. And we've been band-aiding and scotch-taping and Mm -hmm. trying to, to to deal with things as well as we can. But still, the platform is prepared to betray us at any instant. Sure. You know, if you don't get everything exactly right, right. disaster. And we hear about disasters almost constantly. Almost yeah. daily, yeah. Like sure. It, like uh, SSL, I really worry about it. We've had SSL for 20 years now. Mm -hmm. And it seems at least once a month we find another big problem with SSL. Right. Hmm. Well, and they've... We've let go of a lot of versions of SSL. Like it's what TLS three right now. Oh, oh, yeah, they thought that it, you know it was so screwed up. They thought if we change the name, yeah, everything yeah, will be better. That'll, that'll fix it. <laughs> yeah, we can leave all the SSL baggage behind us, and yeah. we'll be clear sailing from this. Oh, point no, out. I don't have any of those problems. I have TLS transport now. layer There's, security. That's right. Yeah, and that makes it safer. So yeah. it, it's arguably a better name, but it, it hasn't fundamentally fixed the problem. No. So that, we are still debugging this thing after 20 years. Mm -hmm. We do not seem yeah. to be converging on correctness. Mm. And I think it was fundamentally the wrong idea. Mm. So I'm working on a replacement for it. So I'm trying to figure out how can we fix the web without throwing away what is good about the web. Right. Mm. But repair it in a minimal way because I'm confident that only minimalism will work. We've tried maximalism and <laughs> it's just not effective. yes. Yeah, so what is the least thing I can do which would give us some leverage in order to, to do securely the things that we need to do securely without breaking or making more complicated everything else? And have you looked into the stuff that people are doing already? So identity server, for example, and the things like that? Yeah, it doesn't go far enough for me. So I want to get rid of passwords completely from right. the user experience. Yeah. And I, I'm really uncomfortable with the idea that I have to trust someone else to be holding my passwords. Yeah. Cause I don't trust anybody. Sure. And, sure. And 
Well, and one of the biggest problems we've had with SSL TLS has been certificate authorities that have lost control of the private keys. Absolutely. I don't trust any of them. Mm -hmm. Starting with VeriSign, but going all the way down the list, I don't want to trust anybody. Sure. I remember there was a story that came out right around when .NET 1.0 was released that somebody had called up, uh, I don't know, one of these network solutions or whatever, and said, yeah, this is so-and-so from Microsoft. We, uh, I don't have the, the key. We, I lost the key, you know, I lost my private key. Can you uh, send that to me? And they're like, sure. And they sent him an email. <laughs> and so... Like the the private key that that ran all of their web uh, sites and everything else like that was completely compromised, just with a phone call. So the social engineering aspect of of security is just something that you can't code for. Yeah, and the fundamental assumption of the thing I, I don't think fits that you've got a certificate which asserts that some relationship is true according to somebody. Right. And the nice thing about a certificate is that you can verify it offline. Except everything's online. Why, right. why are we concerned yeah, why about that, off- Why do we care? Yeah. And in fact, the system is so incompetent, we have to check for revocations. Right. You know? yeah. Which means we have to do the revocation check online. And you have to do that every time you make a call. So really? why do we have the system that's optimized for offline operation if we still have to check everything online yeah. anyway? Yeah. So I think it, it was a, a nice try, but I, it, it doesn't make sense to me for the world as it turned out. So what what are you thinking? Are you thinking that everybody has a little RSA generator and just, you know, sort of has a Bluetooth connection to their computer? And how, how do you envision this happening? I'm thinking everybody has their own private key, mm-hmm. yeah, which is kept on all of their machines. And, and that is where everything's rooted. So you never share your private key with anybody, not right. even me. So it's like the social security number of... Uh, you know, the thing that supposedly identifies you. Well, no, that's what your public key is. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So your public okay. key should be public information. You can give that to anybody. Hmm. The way you prove it's yours is because you can decrypt things that are encrypted with, with it. With that key. And only yeah. you can do that. Hmm. I mean, that's the root of SSL. So, I mean, SSL had that, I this asymmetrical key concept is a good idea. We just implemented poorly. Yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the, the idea behind public keys is really really good it's a good that's the good idea everything else we've done from there we screwed up i like the idea of of having some sort of technology that that has your key in it that is physically attached to you like on your key ring because think of what a a, the key door lock system has worked for many many years because it requires that physical thing and it isn't some concept that somebody can just steal from your online account you know they have to have that key Right. So the the part of this that I'm not solving that I hope someone else will have solved by the time I'm ready to push this mm-hmm. is I'm concerned of the problem where you lose control of your machine. Right. Yeah. You know, like I come and I hit you with a hose and I steal your machine and it's unlocked and I can now get everything. Stuff. Right. I, I want to have some kind of biometric system maybe, mm-hmm. which recognizes that I have lost control of the machine. I've put it down or I've given, someone else has taken it and it will lock itself up until I come back. Right. So why not have the, uh, ex- like I say, the, the key as a sort of, think of, I'm not, I'm oversimplifying, but a USB drive or something right. well, that the, has to be plugged in and has to be there in order for it to use m- the machine at well, all. That doesn't solve the problem I just described. Someone can grab your key yeah. and, and it's still, it's still it's, something external to you. It's something you can lose. But it's better that it's in your possession then it then it's on your machine, right? Uh, no, I think it's going to be fine on my machine. My problem with being on the machine is 
I don't trust Apple and I don't trust Microsoft. Mm -hmm. right. And it's not because I think they're malevolent, mm -hmm. but I'm not sure that they're competent. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I'm worried about attacks from beneath, right? That at some point right. I'm going to have this stuff sitting in memory and I'm going to try as hard as I can yeah. to never have it be in the clear, except at some instant it, it will. Mm -hmm. And they're going to come up or will someone through the operating system will come up and, and snatch it. So I'm worried about that. So and the I, overarching thing here is nobody's more concerned about your security than you. So why make anybody responsible for it other than you? Uh, well, except that the operating system is acting as your agent. Right. But they're not competent yeah. to protect you adequately. You don't want to trust them. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want to trust anybody. Right. And so right now I'm forced to trust Microsoft and Apple because they're providing the stuff and I'm hoping that they're doing the right thing underneath. Mm -hmm. Although historically we've got lots of examples that show that they're not. But it doesn't happen mm. that way. Yeah. Although recently the thing with um, Apple and the FBI, yeah. yeah, I was very encouraged to see Apple stand up to that. Yes. And then very discouraged when it turned out that there's so many. There was another way around that, that problem. Yeah, so it, and then now it's come out that there was nothing on the phone anyway, but. You know, it's just great. Yeah. Thanks. You know, so the government's been pushing to have official backdoors put into things. Right. But the developers have been providing so many secret backdoors. Yeah, unofficial backdoors. That, yeah. you know, the government should be very satisfied with what they're getting. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, why count on intent when you can count on incompetence? Incompetence works. <laughs> and so I worry about that stuff. Yeah, you know, yeah. So I, I'm, you know, I have to worry about my own incompetence, right? Mm -hmm. Anybody who's declaring that we're going to make some secure software, nobody has ever pulled that off, right? No. So there's that. But I'm hoping that by taking a minimal approach that we'll get something which converges on secure right. in a way that SSL has not. Yeah. And part of this has got to be acknowledging the reality. You're always going to lose things. Like that, that's an unavoidable truth. How do you compensate for that? Well, except I think we've gotten too used to that. Right. Like, um, you, you look at password management. Yeah. So if, if you're collecting passwords from, from your users or customers, we assume that your systems are not competent to protect the password files. That right. If they, your systems will get hacked and your, files will be leaked. Yeah. And I'd like to say, well, let's fix that, but yeah. we don't fix that. So the next step is you need to encrypt all of your passwords, right. which so is you, good. You hash them. So, you, so you, in theory, you don't have the password. That's right. Because we found encryption isn't good enough that you actually have to hash them. Yeah. So that even because you're not competent to know your own passwords. Right. Mm. But then we find that, well, hashing isn't effective if you've got a whole lot of stuff. Yes. Hashing will protect one thing, but it doesn't adequately protect mm. a lot of things and also you assume that all of your other competitors and and other people out there who have their own passwords we assume that they're not competent either and we can just correlate all of their hashes with your hashes right everybody's mm. incompetent everywhere and so you have to do salting and then their best practices on how the salting works and yeah. and yeah it's like there's so many layers and layers of incompetence that you have to deal with. <laughs> a potential incompetence, anyway. Can at some point we get the fundamentals right that, in fact, they can't steal your password file? Right. Can, right. can we figure out how to do that? Can we protect one file in the whole system? Can we, can we start with that? Right. I've seen a system recently that is a portable um, RSA key generator that is synchronized to a server 
That is every minute producing a different number based on an algorithm. And when you log into your bank, and this is an, a real example, we have this as a merchant thing. When we log into the bank to do uh, um, electronic transfers, right, we have to put in the number that we read on this screen and goes to the bank and it says, ah, yes, that is the number that we're getting from our algorithm at this in this minute. You are who you say you are. And I think that's a really good step toward uh, authenticating someone with with one thing that isn't a password that you have to remember. It's a physical thing. Uh, and at the same time, it can be used. It's used for encryption. Right. Although they still require that you use a password. Yes, it, that's it, true. It's not secure enough by it's itself. Not, mm -hmm. They so, don't trust it by itself. Yeah. Right. So um, I want to get rid of passwords entirely. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I totally think, I think a system like that is, is enough of a password, really. So, uh, so I'm doing a, a number of things. So I've got a project called the Safe Project. The Safe. S E I F. Okay. Okay. Safe. I, I would have spelled it the other way, but that was taken. Yeah. <laughs> so I spelled it this way. It turns out it's an Arabic word. Oh. It's a sand dune that is aligned with the wind. Oh, nice. So we we got nice. a really nice logo out of that. Look, looks really cool. But that yeah. also ties to your basic mantra of I'm trying to go the simplest thing that has a natural tendency towards security. Mm. Yeah. So it's a five stage project and we've finished stage one and it's available on GitHub now. Mm -hmm. You can go take a look at it if you want. Safe node. A safe node. It's a crypto package for Node.js. Mm -hmm. It provides some it provides all the crypto algorithms that we're going to need to do the rest of the project. Right. And also provides excellent support for random numbers. Because the, the way we're going to figure out your private key pair, your public key pair, is that you generate it on your machine. Oh, interesting. So yeah. no one else will have access to it. It has never left your machine. It, no one other than you will ever have access mm -hmm. to your private key. That's interesting. So there's no broker, no escrow, nobody in the middle, nobody who you have to trust to hold it securely for you. Right. Because I don't mm -hmm. trust anybody. Yeah. So, you know, it's going to be on you now to take care of your own key. And there'll be some education stuff that's going to go with this. For mm -hmm. example, um, don't share your machine with anybody. Right. You know, you should not share your machines the same way you don't share your toothbrush. Right. It's mm. just, mm. you don't do that. Well, you ever right. take, if you ever look underneath a keyboard, you don't want to share that with anybody. Yes. <laughs> yeah, <it's> <laughs> yeah, there may be other good reasons. Yeah. yeah. Just basic hygiene. It's, it's, yeah. The yeah. same way I feel about a toothbrush, right? <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So <laughs> in order to be generating private key pairs, we need to have a lot of entropy. Right. And operating systems will provide it, but I don't trust them to, to give us enough. Oh, okay. So, you know, it's not because I think they're malicious. I, you know, again, it's the competence thing. Right. Our, their need for entropy is not as great as mine. Right. Because mm. I'm going to be generating a 521-bit number, mm -hmm. and I need to have extremely high confidence that it's unique. Mm -hmm. And so in order to do that, I need a lot of entropy. So we'll get some of that from the operating system as much as, as we can get, but that's not enough. So we will then turn on your camera. Right. And mm -hmm. we'll collect some frames and we're not 
spying on you. We're, and you can even be naked and no one will care. Yeah. Cause it's just, we're just looking for, for more entropy for noise yeah, in right. the signal. So we'll be collecting it there. And we'll also turn your microphone on for a couple seconds and we'll collect oh, noise there as well. Right. And we'll take all of this stuff and create a big entropy pool, which will, we will then encrypt and store. Mm. And so anytime we need to generate a session key or one of these key pairs, we can go to that store. Yeah, that's great. Random data, true random data. And we'll also provide um, support eventually for uh, random sticks that you could stick into a server mm-hmm. if you want to do a similar thing, since mm-hmm. servers usually don't come with cameras and microphones. Yeah, but this idea of having an entropy store, essentially, yeah. having collected up enough entropy that you can carry it around with you whenever you need something truly random. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, and... After having done that, we will not look at your microphone or your camera again. Yeah, right. so it's just, just this one-time one, thing to get started. Yeah. yeah, so that's on GitHub now. So mm-hmm. you can go take a look at that. Then step two is the safe protocol, which is secure JSON over TCP. Okay, and I'm doing that because I I don't like HTTP and mm-hmm. I don't trust SSL. And so mm-hmm. you can think of HTTP as being a number of things. It's a data format for expressing key value pairs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's a lousy format. I think, <laughs> I, I think JSON's a much better format. So we're sure. just going to use JSON. And in fact, having multiple languages in the web has been one of the causes of XSS contamination and injection. And so in the safe system, everything's JSON. So that kind of injection confusion is not possible. Right. It, it's just one one layer. Then HTTP is a negotiation protocol. Yep. You know, I needed an image, but I don't know JPEGs. What are you going to do for me? Right. We're still doing that. Yeah. You know, that, we haven't needed yeah. that in 20 years. Right. But that's, yeah, that's how there. the protocol works. Yeah. So we're yeah. getting rid of all of that stuff. Uh, the, you know, there's some people so that they're still insisting I send everything to them as PNG, not JPEG. But mm. still... And then there's the transport protocol, which is a simple request response protocol, Mm -hmm. which for what the web was originally intended to be was adequate, Mm -hmm. but that's not what we do anymore, right? Mm -hmm. It's much more complicated. So requests and responses don't need to be paired and you don't need to wait before Mm -hmm. the next. So so, um, the safe protocol is going to be a session protocol. So one side can send whenever it has something to say and the other side can send whenever it has something to say. sockets that's what it does yeah Yeah. it's this weird thing that we have in the web where we've got this wonderful you know stuff in layers like tcp is like everything you want and then Mm -hmm. http is on top of it which throws almost all of it away yeah yeah there's no there's no uh there's no constant connection there it's yeah there's no sense of session cord every time you know http was intentionally sessionless because that's all they were doing was retrieving documents. Right. Yeah, there's no context. But everything we do is session full. Sure. Right. right? So That's why we need cookies in the first place. Exactly. Yeah. And so we've been putting Band-Aids on HTTP ever since Netscape. Why not just yeah. peel it back down to the TCP layer and use what TCP gave us from the beginning? Well, That's you exactly know, what when, one of the arguments for not using TCP is, okay, now you got to choose another port. And that means we have to open that port. And that means we now have to get sign off from all the the IT people and you know or we have to let the user say yes I will allow that and firewalls and blah 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 blah, blah. yeah so that that's still a problem you know very much we've got all of this scar tissue in the web right right, right. Um, and I don't have a solution to that yeah so. I don't either and it's I, I agree with you call it scar tissue 
you know, that firewalling behavior is an artifact of uh, an attempt to create security that actually didn't work. The yeah. fact that you would, you had this firewall that blocks these other ports, but doesn't block port 80, which everything so, can flow through. Exactly. And now all the, all the malware in the world comes through port, port 80. 80. It's like, okay, so, I only get one port. Ah, okay. No yeah. problem. Yeah. So and it, that's where we'll start, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and hopefully we, we can do better than that. I always thought that it would be great to write a sockets-based solution that was based on port 80 that wasn't HTTP, and I know that's heresy for a lot of people. But the problem is, is that the the thing, the security devices that are looking at at your uh, at what's coming over the port can say, ah, that's not HTTP. I'm not going to allow that, right? Yeah. But so those things are in place in firewalls. It's not just looking at oh, that's over port 80, that can go through, it can actually say, what is that? That's not, that doesn't look like anything that I know. And that's why we have all these things wrapped in HTTP. Yeah, so that's not going to work for us because we're going to send one JSON message in the clear and then everything else is encrypted. Right. And yeah, so I, I don't know how we'll get around that. But it's, you're still going to negotiate a connection, get, you know, call to a service, but with something in the clear. And then and along with that is, is your public key. So it's like, hey, everything I send you from now is going to be encrypted. Yep. And off you go from there. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is? Uh, it must be that happy time again. It's time to secure this show by passing the hash. Nice. Did I just say that out loud? <laughs> <laughs> What are you smiling about? <laughs> it's, actually, it's actually time to uh, give away a Telerik DevCraft collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first, yes, cross-platform mobile development has been democratized for .NET developers now that Xamarin and all of its tooling is free for Visual Studio developers. But hold on. Before you get started on your dream cross-platform app, you don't want to reinvent the wheel with UI components. Enter Telerik UI for Xamarin. All of the UI polish you need for your Xamarin apps out of the box for iOS, Android, or Xamarin Forms. We're talking complex graphs, charts, gauges, and loads of other UI elements all ready for you to use from the comforts of C-Sharp. Grab a free trial of UI for Xamarin or use all the Telerik DevCraft, the most complete .NET UI toolset for any app web, desktop, or mobile. Get started today at Telerik.com slash Xamarin-UI or Telerik.com slash DevCraft. All right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Vincent Evans. Oh, congratulations, Vincent. Yes. Golf clap for you, sir. Golf clap for Vincent. And Vincent just won the Telerik DevCraft collection, a big pile of awesome from them. And if you don't know what we're doing here, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .NET Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And we also ask our guests every show, Doug, if you had $5,000 to spend on technology today, and this ought to be very unique, I'm sure. <laughs> What would you buy? I don't know. I wouldn't buy a new car. <laughs> so, so you're yeah, carless. what happened? <laughs> well, um, so I used to own a car, mm -hmm. and I wore it out. Yeah, as, as you do. Yeah. Um, as, as happened. And then I found I was being so successful living without a car that I decided not to replace it. Nice. And it's been great. 
And so you live in an urban environment? I live in downtown San Jose, which I oh, love. Yeah. It's a great place to live. Yeah. I, and we've got light rail, which takes me directly to where I work. Mm. And it's very convenient. And I've just found that I can walk everywhere I want to get to. Yeah. And it's great. Great. And that and Uber. I actually have never Ubered. You're not an mm. Uber guy. have not had need for it yet. Mm. Yeah. It's, I, um, you know, that's where Uber really started out. and. So, is there anything interesting uh, technology-wise that you'd like that it's on your wish list? No, I've got about everything I want. Yeah, all the gadgets figured. You need. Yeah. So, in fact, I'm trying to cut down yeah. more minimalism. <laughs> yeah. For example, I found it was really inconvenient to have a phone and a tablet. Right. Because mm -hmm. mostly, what I do with both of them is upgrade them and charge them. <laughs> 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 so if I could get it down to one, that'd be better. Yeah, it's just one less thing to upgrade, one less thing to charge. Yeah. So I've got a, a Sony Z4, which came from Hong Kong. Okay. And it's got a SIM card in it. So right. it's a huge phone. It's, it's a phablet. Yeah. And I, I like it a lot. Yeah. So that's my phone. So, you know, it, and if I could get a, if I could put a SIM card in a laptop, I would get rid of that. Right. You know, I just would like to get it down to one machine that does everything. Hmm. Yeah, every so often somebody comes along with a SIM card for a laptop for 4G access or data access and things like yeah, that. Yeah, but no, I want the whole the just whole package. Yeah. Maybe you want a Surface Pro? Maybe so. Do they do that? Yeah, well, it's it's a tablet. It's not a phone, though. Yeah, it's, it's all about the SIM card. Well, you don't really want a SIM card. What you really want is that that phone connectivity, that that external hook to your identity. I want mm. it to be a phone. Yeah. I want yeah. to do the whole thing. I just do, I, I'm just doing my best to find ways to not need to have carriers in my life because mm. carriers are just horrible Evil. creatures. Um, I don't know. Since everything got democratized, you know, since Google and Apple took over the phone business, right. I'm finding mm. they're a lot less, a lot less awful now. obnoxious. Like I, I, I work with T-Mobile now. I find they're just fine. Right. And and I love that it works internationally now. Yeah. Mm. That I can go anywhere and and connect. You just that, you just that so data nice. as commodity, right? I don't, yeah. don't, don't give me all the other stuff. All I need is data mm. and 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 work and have it work everywhere. Yeah. Well I, I want voice too. I I don't use the phone very often. Right. But yeah. occasionally I do and and I'm not ready to say no more phone service. Yet. Right. Well what if you could just use Skype, let's say. Yeah. Skype to phone. Yeah, yeah that I don't know. Yeah, you know. I know that uh, we recorded you, Richard, over Skype to phone uh, for instant because your phone system went down your house. Yeah. And it sounded a lot better than the regular phone system. It does. Yeah. We ride it. We ride it through that way, but it's and it's nothing to do with Skype per se. I mean, yeah. WhatsApp has a voice mode now. Viber has a voice mode right. now. Like voice over data is a normal thing. Yeah. In, in a lot of ways, in, in the end, it's all just data. You know, the re the reality is the, the, the switch network of the old phone system doesn't exist anymore. Right. right? It's all, it's, it's all, all VoIP. It's all data yeah. in the end. Yeah. You know, so I, I, but I do appreciate the idea of, I just want that connectivity. Well, it's the two things, right? It's, it's connectivity everywhere I go and it's a way for people to contact me. It's some sense of identity external to me that they can reach me. Yeah. It seems to number. still be the most reliable form. Yeah. Um, and eventually I hope that goes away. You know, that we replace phone numbers with something smarter. Mm. Right. But I don't feel like we're there yet. Well, in some ways we are because most people don't know phone numbers anymore anyway. That's right. right. You have a device well, that has true. a picture. I click on your picture and there I go. The first time I experienced that was my father-in-law called me and he said, 
Hey, uh, what's your phone number? Yeah. <laughs> like, I said, what are you talking me. about? You call me. He goes, yeah, but it's just programmed in a button and I don't know what it is. What is it? <laughs> it it's hard. Yeah. It's funny. I, I don't know anybody's number anymore. You don't need to know those yeah. things, right? It's, it's, it's irrelevant. Can we talk a little bit about IPv6, thinking about more secure protocols? I mean, V6 has an awful lot of the stuff we added to V4 built in, you know, sort of continue. If we like TCP and we like sort of continuous encryption and things, isn't this better? Uh, sure. Well, the, the, the main thing is that the IP address shortage is, is solved, right? right? That, that we now have more numbers than we can imagine. Right. Well, more mm. addresses than atoms in the universe kind of thing. Right. Yeah. And having that, things like um, the port 80 problem, I hope, goes away. You would hope. Because if, if you have a virtually infinite number of addresses, then we don't need to extend it with another 16 right. bits. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have to play the, the uh, NAT game and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. So I'm, I'm hoping we get free of that and that will get us past the old firewall problem. Well, isn't that, isn't that our identifier then? Is that our new phone number? Could be this, you know, there's an address for you. Uh, I don't know. I, I like the idea that devices have addresses. I'm not sure about people, people having. Right. I mean, but in the end, your, your laptop, your phablet is a yeah. device. It'll well, have an address. Right. So my cat has an address, right? right. My cat has a chip and, Wait a minute. What? <laughs> well, cats have chips in them. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. So if you, so if someone finds your cat, they put the cat in are a cat about, reader. Are you talking about like a special collar? No, 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 no ID chip. Yeah, it goes under their skin. Yeah. Who's what? Where was I uh, sleeping? I this when is a normal this for thing. Now. You chip your pets. What? Yeah. Wow. It works. Yeah, and we could do it to people. We have done it to people. Yeah. I mean, it's proposed that you put one in your hand and then... But RFID isn't secure. It's completely hackable, isn't it? Well, it's just cats. Well, yeah. <laughs> You're talking about people now. <laughs> this, this conversation just took a real surreal turn for me. Sorry. <laughs> so I, I, I'm not saying that we would do exactly the same thing we do yeah. with the cats on people, but... Okay. That, we could put devices into people which will I, uniquely identify right. them. Right, and that's the whole thing. Is RFID is not insecure per se. It's just a decoded number. Well, right? you, couldn't your DNA be expressed somehow as a unique number? That's a bit more complicated, but... Well, sure, but... You're, but either way, all you're talking about is a unique identifier. What you do from there speaks to security. Right. For example, if you had a chip in your hand which identifies you, then when you hold your phone, the phone knows who's holding it. Yeah. Right. Unless they amputate your hand, and, and then they <laughs> yeah. crime certainly goes gets, gets really evil. Bessie, yeah. well, you know, this is the XKCD thing about encryption and so forth. Like, or five dollar wrench, right? <laughs> I'll just beat the password out of them, right? Uh, I'm I'm at the point with LastPass now where I've got it on many services that are important, you know, the PayPal's and so forth of the world, work with good password managers so that I'm just auto-changing passwords, right? LastPass changes my PayPal password every 30 days. I genuinely don't know it. Mm. I, it's not in my head, right? I have to, but I do know how to get access to LastPass. So, I mean, it's a level of abstraction, but that's that's all it is. Right. So, the wrench still works on me. And now now you have just one password to rule them all, that right. where all the other passwords are. Yeah. And, and, it's, and again, you make the high entropic password, which is a big, long phrase right. that is easy for me to remember and hard for everything else to deal with. Sure. I have several phrases that I, I do not use LastPass. I, I started down that road and I thought, 
Nah, I'm like Doug. I don't trust anybody. And so what I do is I have several phrases that I have memorized. Right. And then I have a table somewhere that says which ones use which phrases. And I, re- and I regularly change them. So, Yep. Interesting problem. Anyway, so does IPvX V6 fix anything for us? Um, Just gives us more addresses. Yeah, we'll figure out what to do with that. Mm. Yeah. I mean, we could get really stupid in how we use these addresses, but still, there's so many of them. Yeah. It doesn't look like we can... No, I think we've come up with an architecture that's incompetence tolerant. Seems so. (laughs) (laughs) And that's really what you're after. It's (laughs) something that's dumb-proof or or stupid-proof. Tolerant to incompetence. Yeah. They can allow for... Yeah, go ahead. Waste them. Waste more. I dare you. Waste more. Oh, man. But once we get to the the unique identifier stage, still you have all of these problems of how do you encrypt? How do you identify? How do I know you as you? There's still those issues. Uh, Well, except we're depending on the private key to sort that stuff out. And the the only place that ever existed was on that device. Well, it'll be on all of your devices. Right. And so I imagine that you would have a little thing that's got your private key on it, mm-hmm. and you will then plug it into your devices, and then your devices can all sync with something in right. the cloud, which only something having that private key can sync to. Right. And so you can keep all your stuff out there, and I don't have to trust the cloud because you can only encrypt it if you've got this right. stuff. So do you do you like the whole idea of algorithm-based uh, keys, um, synchronized algorithms? I don't need them. All I need to do is this one time get this private key onto a device, and then mm-hmm. we're all right. So the the trick then becomes managing the private key. Yeah. So I'm going to recommend to people that they treat it like their most important of all secrets. Right. You know, keep it in a safe deposit box or someplace where they keep trusted stuff, because mm-hmm. if this gets loose, then they're totally screwed. Mm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, and then we still get back to the problem we talked with right off the bat. You lose things. People lose things. Even incredibly important keys. Right. So this one, as long as you have any of your devices, you're okay. Right. If you lose all of your devices and your backup, then, then you're, in trouble. You're, you're gone. But if you lose any one of them, you have the risk of impersonation. But it's the lesser of evils, right? Isn't it? Because, you know, either way, you're going to have to have some place that's uh, where you're, you're vulnerable. It's got to bottom out somewhere. It's got to right. bottom out somewhere. And you might as well be with you with a physical thing. Yeah, I I don't want it bottoming out with somebody I don't trust. Right, right, right. Where I have no visibility that a phone call could could convince them to give up my stuff. Right. Yeah, and you've just got to, the impersonation issue is important. It's just, okay, if I, I, it it doesn't make sense to store it in only one place because then it's in some ways more vulnerable. You want it stored in multiple places so that you can't truly fully lose it. But as soon as it's more than one place, you can lose one of them and have a risk yeah. of impersonation. Uh, right. So then it depends on what, and this is beyond my job, right. but how is it that you convince your device that you're you? Right. And I'm hoping that, again, uh, Microsoft and Apple get smarter about that stuff. Yeah, it's a combination we're, we're of depending things. Depending on those. At least in the in the short term, we will then add our own stuff on top of that, right? Because we don't fully trust them yet. 
I would really like to get out of that business as quickly as we can. Sure. Something that just occurred to me is the safe deposit box idea is great, but like a backup, right? You always have two. You have one that's with your person and you ha- you can make a copy of that at any time if you have it. You make a copy, you put that in a safe deposit box. If you lose it, you go to your safe deposit box, make a copy, right. leave one there. You always have a copy. So those are those are just practice things. Those aren't technology things, really. Right. So it is practice. So we're going to have to train all of our users right. to think about security in a way that they never had before. Yeah. Sure. I like it. Um, other than security, are you thinking down the road about oh, you know, anything that you like or dislike about what's coming in ES seven or anything? Uh, there's not much in ES seven that they they put so much crap in ES6 mm. which caused it to go several years late mm. right so the new strategy is a new release every year mm-hmm. and that actually works a lot better in that they, because they can't hold it up now to add more crap right so ES7 has almost nothing in it it's got the uh I think away yeah await, which I I don't like I I think no. that's wrong-headed stuff so okay. the theory is Asynchronous programming is hard, mm. so we want to make it look exactly like synchronous programming because we know how to do that. Right. But I think in I, I like the motivation, but I think what happens is people will never understand asynchronous programming. They just mm. know you put these keywords in this place and you just think of it as being sequential. Mm. And I don't think that's good enough. It encourages bad programming habits, you think? It, it encourages being stuck in the synchronous paradigm. Yeah. So without, I, but I, I think does, you need to make that transition. It does really work, though, in certain situations. It works really well. I'm not saying it doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying that it does not encourage people to move forward intellectually. Mm. And because asynchronous programming is the future, right? Mm. Because everything's distributed now. That's sure. how we're going to be doing everything. Mm. I think it's important to master that. And well, I got to... I got to tell you, I've done a lot of multi-threaded programming over my career and, you know, doing it manually, managing threads and pools and stuff like that sucks. It really sucks. And, and I understand it, but that doesn't mean when I go to write a service or to write a website, I don't want to use the simplest tool for the job. And I, I loved when async await came into C sharp and, and I use it all the time, but it, I understand it. But I think what you're saying is, if I didn't go through all that pain and torture and everything, I wouldn't appreciate it as much. I wouldn't understand what was really going on. No, it's more than that. So some of the pain you went through, you should not have had to have gone through. Yeah, of course. So the threading model, I think, is broken. That We should never have allowed threads into the application model. Mm. So the good thing about the way JavaScript is deployed is we don't do that. Yeah. Right? So it's a single-threaded environment. So all those terrible races and deadlocks that happen in the threads can't happen, right. which is brilliant. Right. Yeah. But we still need to be dealing with communication with independent processes and servers. Yeah. Right? And that's where the asynchronous stuff happens. Uh, raw JavaScript by itself doesn't deal at all with that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I... I, I I prefer a library approach that I think you can build a library to support your asynchronicity and it can be really simple you know, just a, a small number of things. For example, you can look at the RQ library that I, I put on GitHub. Right. It allows you to sequences and do things in parallel and it's real easy. You just mm. have a function that returns a function and you're done. Mm-hmm. And 
I, I, I think that's a better approach to, to dealing with asynchronicity than adding keywords to the language. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Again, being a minimalist, I'd rather not change the language if there are better alternatives. Right, right. I just got done doing a, a website that I wanted to do with no frameworks or anything, just plain JavaScript and no jQuery, just uh, a service and, you know, using XML HTTP request. And uh, while I really enjoyed it because I felt, you know, ah, I'm down here at the fundamental level and this is exactly what it was designed to do. Uh, and I understand everything. While I wanted to implement one round trip call or a feature or something, I had to write five or six, seven, eight different functions for it. You know, one to make the call, one to receive the call, several to set up the UI and change what happens on the screen and all of that stuff. So while I, I, I liked it, I'm not so sure that I would do that again now that I've done it once. That was enough. <laughs> I don't know what your experience is with that the frameworks and well, you got to be using some kind of framework. No, nope, nobody should ever touch the DOM. Yeah. It's just awful. Yeah, yeah. Tom doesn't like you. You stay out of there. <laughs> it's more consistent now. Yeah, uh, DOMs have gotten way better. It, but it's still not fit for humans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. I do agree. So jQuery jQuery is better than DOM. Yeah, yeah. So I don't have any favorites over all of the f frameworks. Yeah. They all seem to be really good. They're mm -hmm. all made by really smart people. Mm. Unfortunately, they're all completely different, which right. means once you've picked one, you're kind of stuck with it for yeah, a while. Yeah, it's a way of thinking at that point. Yeah, yeah. But any of them is better than touching the DOM yourself. Right. True. What's next for you, Doug? I'm going home. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm going to India. Oh, what's there? I'm doing a couple conferences. Oh, oh great. You've been there before? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm big in India. Oh, awesome. Huge. <laughs> Huge. <laughs> That's great. Well, definitely keep in touch with us and let us know what's going on, and especially with SAFE. It sounds great. Where can people go to find out more about it? Uh, go to safe.space, and that'll direct you to GitHub. Eventually, there'll be more stuff there. Great. Thank you. Thank you. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got transmitter bands by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a toy boy. Play